If you now take your Bibles and turn them to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. If you're using a pew Bible, you're on your own this morning. I forgot to put the page number there. We were created to know and to love our Creator, to enjoy Him. And life only works, life only truly makes sense when God is our treasure, when God is number one, when we seek to live our lives to glorify Him and to honor Him. Hear what Jesus has to say concerning this in chapter 12 beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, Man, who made me judge over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is far more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that will not grow old, with treasure in heaven that does not fail. Where Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Beloved, what do we know about God's Word? You may be seated. 
Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank You for Your Holy Word. We thank You that we are able to come again and to receive the truth of the Gospel. Lord, I pray that we would leave here today with the eternal perspective, knowing that life here is very short. And that, Lord, what we do with our time, treasure, and talent is extremely important. It's vital not only for this life, but to, for the life to come. And so we ask, Lord, today that You would give us eyes to see the truth of the Gospel message in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. A little over a year ago, May 2nd, 2015, one of the most anticipating sporting events took place. One of the most anticipating sporting events in boxing history, I should say, took place. The mega fight that everyone was looking forward to, which if you saw it, you know it was a big disappointment, which is often the case with sporting events that are hyped and built up to that magnitude. But it was between Floyd Money Mayweather, now his nickname ought to tip you off right there, Floyd Money Mayweather and the Pac-Man Manny Pacquiao. The purse, get this, the purse that they split was over $400 million. Now, how many of you are thinking, I'm in the wrong career? <laughs> over $400 million is what they split. And as I consider these two men, these two legends in their sport, I could not think of a more contrasting picture than Floyd Money Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. Floyd Mayweather makes it very clear what is important to him. He has said in numerous interviews, me first. What I make is mine. And he lives that out. He has a collection of cars that's worth over $30 million. He possesses two Learjets. He has homes all over the United States. And he has employed, get this, he has someone who he pays to watch a money bag for him. That's all that man does. Is every day Floyd will put in thousands of dollars in this money bag that he will spend on himself. In contrast to that, you have Manny Pacquiao, who several years ago became a Christian and when he became a Christian, he became even more generous with what he possessed. He spends hundreds of thousands of dollars into the millions to help the needy in his very poor country, the Philippines. You have two very wealthy men who will probably never be able to spend all the money that they've earned, although some athletes, I don't know how they do it, but they manage to do it. But these two probably, with all the earnings that they have, will never be able to spend all of it. But one is an unabashed materialist and only lives for today. And the other has an eternal perspective. One believes that everything that he's been given in his treasure, his time, and his talents is for himself. And the other sees it as a gift from God to be used to the glory of God. Floyd Mayweather sums up the materialistic generation that we live in very well. 
Me first. It's all about me. I come first, what I want, and if there's anything left over, then maybe I will give it away. But if you look at these two men, you see a huge difference in their lifestyle, not only in their lifestyle, but in their demeanor. Floyd Mayweather is not a happy man. I don't care what he claims. He is not a happy man. Most of the time he's arguing and fighting. He's losing friendships or he's in lawsuits with people over money. But if you'll look at Manny Pacquiao in his interviews, you see a peace that can only come from a man who has entrusted himself and all that he has to the Lord Jesus Christ. Materialism is the religion of our culture. And it's seeped its nasty, evil tentacles has crept into the church. Thousands of Americans flock to churches to hear preachers preach a message called the prosperity gospel. Come to Jesus and He'll make you rich and He'll make you healthy. They are what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. They are those who have thrown off sound teaching They cannot endure sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. The reason they attend churches where they listen to preachers tell them how to get wealthy by using Jesus to do so is because their hearts are set on materialism. They are greedy people. But I would think that after years of attending these churches and giving their money, that something would tip them off. Why do I drive a Ford Focus and live in an apartment and my pastor lives in a mansion and drives a Bentley? Nothing ever seems to get through. Why? Because they are blinded by their greed. Jesus once said, the Scripture warns us, friends, many, many times, about money and about wealth. It tells us two things. First, that wealth comes from God. God gives us the ability to make money and to earn, and He gives some people much money and much wealth and many possessions. He did it for the patriarchs. But it also warns us that we are not to have our hearts set on material things or to worship them or to allow them to become idols to replace God in our lives. Jesus warned that it is easier for a rich man, or it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Now for anyone sitting here with any considerable amount of wealth, that ought to cause you to sit up and take notice. As Jesus said, it's easier for an camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And you know what? It should cause all of us to sit up and take notice in here because compared to most of the world today, we are all very wealthy. What we have to ask ourselves today, listening to the words of Jesus and His teaching in this text is, 
Are we living for ourselves? Does materialism rule us? Or are we living with the eternal perspective that this life is short and I am not to live for this life, but I am to live for eternity sending my investments ahead into heaven? Look now at the text with me. Let's consider what Jesus has to say to His disciples and to the crowd. A man speaks up in the crowd and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide our inheritance with me. But Jesus is very quick to say, Man, who made me judge over you? This is not the purpose for which I came. In fact, I became poor that you might become rich in another way. But this is not my purpose. But then Jesus gets to the heart of the issue with the man. The, the biggest problem that this man had was not whether he was going to receive the inheritance or not. The biggest problem was in his heart, he was full of greed. He wanted the money and he wanted the inheritance not to be rich toward God, but to be rich toward himself and to spend it on his desires. And this is what Jesus says about that kind of covetousness. He, he tells this parable that a rich man produced plentifully. His field produced plentifully. And he said to himself, what will I do with all these crops? And the rich man said, I know what I'll do. I'll spend it all on me. I'll put me first. I'll build bigger barns to secure my future. And I'll live for myself alone. This man was deceived by his greed. He was deceived by materialism. He was deceived by the promises of materialism. And if you look on your, on your outline on the back, my first point is the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth robs us from being rich toward God. That is a peculiar phrase that Jesus uses, isn't it? What does it mean to be rich toward God? This is what it means. It means that God means more to you than anything else. More than your business. More than your possessions. Even more than your family. God is first in your life and you live your life to please Him and to glorify Him. He's number one. And what gives you the greatest pleasure in life is figuring out how to live for His glory and to extend His kingdom. We've just come through a series where Pastor McGee has taught on the importance of gossiping the Gospel, of putting Jesus Christ first in our lives and sharing the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And that is one way to be rich toward God. He who wins souls, the Bible tells us, is wise. He who is rich toward God desires to see men, lost men and lost women coming into the kingdom. He or she who is rich toward God will use the money that we have, that he or she has, has and the possessions that they possess, for the extension of the kingdom of God. But one way 
to be robbed of this is if we buy into the deceitfulness or the lies of wealth, the lies of materialism. Before I get to that, I want us to notice what Jesus does not say about the man. He does not say that it was wrong for the man to make the investment in the good fields that he found. It was not wrong for the man to sow in fields that brought forth the wealth. It was not wrong for the man to turn a profit, even a very large profit. It wasn't even wrong for the man to build barns to plan for the future. It's what he wanted to do with that money and with that wealth once he built the barns. So Jesus' command to us is not that it's wrong to have money or have possessions. It's not wrong to turn a profit or to make wise investments or even to plan for the future. What is wrong is to live for oneself and all you can see when you look at your possessions and your money is what you want to do with it for yourself. So what are the deceitfulness what is the deceitfulness of materialism that this man in the parable buys into? The first lie that he buys into is this that life consists in possessions. Just like Floyd Mayweather, he believes that the one who dies with the most toys wins, that the one with the most homes, the most boats, the most cars, the most money is the most successful in life. So with gathering possessions, what you do is gather life. That's the lie. And many people believe it. I don't know if you read the Times article, New York Times, in 2008 when the stock market dropped drastically. Wealthy men, wealthy businessmen, took their own lives because of all that they had lost. The same thing happened in the Great Depression in 1929 when men lost their wealth. They took their lives because they believed that their life consisted in the possessions that they had. But Jesus teaches us very clearly that life does not consist in what we possess. Your life is far more than the kind of car you drive, the home you live in, or the salary you make. This is life, Jesus teaches us. That they may know You, Father, and the One whom You have sent. Paul puts it this way to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God called this man in the parable a fool not because he turned a profit, not because he made a wise investment, not because he was planning for the future, but because all he could see when he saw the wealth was his own desires and his own selfish greed. But Paul tells us that true life is learning how to use these things to glorify God in good works. So the first lie that comes with the deceitfulness of materialism or wealth, is that life consists in possessions. 
The second lie is this, that money provides security. That the more money you have, the more secure you are. That the more money you have, the bigger barns you can build. Not so that you have a way or an avenue or a vehicle to give your wealth away, but that you can build it up to establish security for yourself for the future. Now, if you have any money invested in the stock market, you know how foolish that is. You know how fleeting security in this life is. When the stock market goes down, or if it crashes, we could lose everything. So to pretend to have security in our wealth is foolishness. And the man in Jesus' parable thought that he was secure by hoarding his wealth. But he failed to realize that it was God who numbered his days. And it was God who determined not his wealth, not his strength, not by his own power, but it was God who determined whether he would breathe or not, whether he would continue to live or not. Proverbs 11.28 tells us that he who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Friend, your money cannot save you or make you more secure any more than it could this man in Jesus' story. True security is found in trusting God and in trusting Him alone. Lie number three is this. All there is to life is what's visible. All this wealthy man could see was what was right in front of him, was this life. But Paul teaches us not to fix our eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. I wonder, how many of us really believe that? How many of us really believe that the things of this world are passing away. They're temporary. And how many of us really believe that the life to come is what is eternal? Do we really believe it? One way we can test to see if we really believe it is look in your banking account or look in your checkbook and see where you put your money where you spend your money. Wherever you spend your money, wherever you put it, Jesus clearly teaches that's where your heart's going to follow. I think the opposite is true too. That wherever our heart is, that's where we put our treasures, our time, and our talent. Where do you spend your time, your money, and your energy? That determines what you really believe is lasting. How much do you give to the work of God's kingdom? Do you come first? And then if there's anything left over, then I'll give it to the church. Then I'll give it to a missionary. Then I'll give it to a neighbor in need. Are you living for what's visible? Or are you storing up treasures for yourself in heaven? Does God come first? Have you bought into the lie that 
that materialism teaches us that life consists in possessions, that money can provide security, and that all there is to life is what's visible. Number four, line number four, wealth can buy you more time. The rich man thought because he was very wealthy, he had plenty of time. He thought because he was going to store up possessions for the future, that the future would be there for him to enjoy those riches on himself. But we all know that death is a great equalizer. Money and possessions cannot buy you any more time. Not only will it not buy you more time, but you can't take any of it with you. One thing you'll never see at a funeral is a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. Paul says to Timothy, great gain is godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world. When John Rockefeller died, a young man asked Rockefeller's accountant, how much did he leave? And I love the accountant's reply. The accountant looked at the young man and said he left it all. John Rockefeller, in I believe it was late 20s or 30s when he died, was, get this, he was worth $365 billion in 1930, whatever year he died. How much of that did he take with him? Absolutely zero. I wonder how much of it he sent ahead. Are we buying into the lie that this culture buys into? That our life consists in the cars that we drive, in the homes that we live in, that money can provide us security. If we just have enough money, it will shelter us from destruction, that what is visible in this life is what really matters, even though the Scripture clearly teaches us that it's fleeting and going away, that wealth can buy us more time. If we buy into those lies, it makes it very difficult for us to be generous with what God has given us. We become anxious about this life, and I think that's why Jesus goes into talking to His disciples about not being anxious for tomorrow. If we buy into these lies, then we will see ourselves as our source instead of God. We will be filled with anxiety, filled with worry, concerned about things that we cannot control. What will we do ten years from now? Friend, we don't even know if we have the next ten minutes. How in the world can we concern, or why do we concern ourselves with the future? Jesus tells us that if we want peace, it doesn't come by trying to gain it through worldly wealth, but it comes from God's provision. And that's my second point. Peace comes from trusting in God's provision. 
God is the author of life, and He is the sustainer of life. Not only does God create all things, but He takes care of all things as well. And Jesus makes this clear. He says, Consider the birds of the air. They, they do not store up in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. And the grass of the fields are clothed with more beauty than even King Solomon in all of his wealth. I don't know who wrote the poem, but I love this poem. It, it makes this point so simple and so clear. Said the wildflower to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the wildflower, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly Father such as cares for you and me. Do we really trust that the God who created all things, who sustains all things, will take care of us? Think of it this way. If God did the greatest thing He could do in redeeming us, in making us His children, how will He not also provide everything we need in this life? Paul puts it this way in Romans, but God who did not spare His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all, how will He not with Him freely give us all things? Birds of the air are not joint heirs with Jesus Christ. They've not been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's us. We're the image bearers of God. We're the redeemed ones. We are the saints of God. We are the co-heirs with Christ. So why are we anxious about this life? This is a really hard message for me to preach, if I'm honest. Because I have been anxious many times in life about the future. And Jesus' Jesus' words are so true that anxiety and worry can do nothing to add to your life. The only thing it can do is detract from your life. I think a lot of psychological issues and physical problems actually come from all of our anxiety and worry about the future. And what does it produce? Nothing. The only thing that it robs us of is it robs us from peace. It robs us of peace in God's provision. We can trust God. We can trust God with our future. We can turn away from the deceitfulness of materialism. And we can give ourselves to generosity. And that's my third point. That if we will turn away from the deceitfulness of materialism, if we will trust God for His provision, that we can be generous and that generosity brings freedom from materialism. How does generosity bring freedom from materialism? Well, if you're a generous person, you know that generosity, the more that you're generous, the more you're outward focused, the more you are focused on yourself, thinking about what you want, what you desire, what you need. The more you give, the greater your capacity grows for giving. I spent seven years fundraising before I came and took the position here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. 
and I very quickly learned this rule in fundraising. Those who give, give more. And I also learned, and I don't know why this is, but it gets back to the deceitfulness of materialism, I believe, that some of the most generous givers are not the wealthiest people that I know. Most of the money that was raised in the seven years of doing RUF came from those who either lived on fixed incomes or made less than $50,000 a year. It came from little churches. I was surprised at the little churches and how generous they were with their money. Why is that? Because the more you're generous, the more you give, the more you realize that everything I have belongs to God, the more generous you become. Not only that, but the more generous you are, the more you become like the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Think of the story of redemption. Jesus owned it all. He had all the wealth, all the riches. And all for love's sake, He set it aside and came to make wretches His treasure. To make enemies the friends of God. So the more generous we are, the more we have capacity to give because the more we desire to give, And the more we give, the more we become like the Lord Jesus Christ. The more of the mind of Christ we have. I love Paul's words from Colossians chapter 3. He says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Friend, if that describes you, and it does if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are free to become the most generous person you know. There is one way and only one way to secure wealth. And that is to send it ahead into the Kingdom of God. And if you want your joy to be increased, Don't make more investments in this life. I'm not telling you don't plan for the future. Don't plan for retirement. That's not what I mean. But after you've done... No, before you've done that. Plan to send a greater investment ahead into the Kingdom of Heaven. Does that describe you? Are you rich toward God? Does God come first in what you possess? Jesus makes it very clear. That if you love the Kingdom of God and you put your treasures there, that's where your heart will be. That's where your affections will be. If God is most important to you, that's where you're going to spend the greatest part of your investing. Of your time, your talents, and your treasures. But if it's this world, that's where you're going to put most of your time, most of your treasure, most of your talent. And it's impossible It's impossible to not know for yourself exactly what's most important to you. All you have to do is look at your bank account. All you have to do is consider where do I spend the most money. 
I can't think of another message. There's only one other message that I could preach that could make me more uncomfortable than this one. <laughs> and that's the message on hell. But you know what? Jesus links the two right in this passage. He said because the man treasured materialism, he lost his soul. Friends, don't be deceived. It's not in what we say we believe. It's how we live that demonstrates what we truly believe and who we truly live for. If your money and your possessions are spent simply for the things of this world, I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word and what Scripture teaches, you're in danger. If you... If your heart is not generous towards the things of God at all, you need to ask yourself if the Spirit of God has changed you at all. If the Spirit of God has taken residency inside of you. See, if the Spirit of God is living inside of you, if you're regenerate, it is impossible to live like this man lived in Jesus' parable. It's possible to be disobedient but it is impossible to set all of your affection on the things of this world. Because your desire is to do the will of God. The mind that you have been given is the mind of Christ. You desire to do the will of God because you have the mind of Christ because the Spirit of God lives in you. And therefore, it is your desire to be generous. What is it that's keeping you from being obedient this morning? Is it the anxieties of this world? Are you worried about your future? There's no greater security than you can have than to put your life in the hands of the loving Heavenly Father who made you in His image, who, take care, who he, he takes care of the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. Are you not worth much more than these things? Where is your treasure this morning? Look at your treasure and where you put it. And there is where you will find your affections. I, will, I pray that this morning our affections are set on the things of God. And that is where we will find our treasure. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the teachings that You give us that instruct us on how to spend our time, our treasure, and our talents. I pray, Lord Jesus, today that we would be generous givers, that we would give of ourselves completely and fully to Your work. That we wouldn't hold anything back. Lord, for where we've been greedy and set our affections on materialism, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for loving this world more than we love You. Lord, make us a generous people. And in making us generous, I know that You will set us free from materialism that is so rampant in this world. Lord, make us rich toward You. I pray that You would be number one in our lives and that we would give generously. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.